to, to AAP Practice Life, the podcast about life uh, and, and practice, the non-medical aspect of being an equine veterinarian. I'm Mike Powell. I have uh, equine practice with my wife uh, in Toronto, Canada, and I'm joined by um, three great practitioners. I'll let them introduce themselves. Let's start from the south. Uh, Dr. Lisa Kivett. Lisa, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Thanks, Mike. Lisa Kivett. I'm a 2007 North Carolina State grad. I uh, did an internship at LSU and a residency in equine internal medicine at Auburn. I did a little bit of private practice and then opened my clinic, Foundation Equine Clinic, in 2013 here in Southern Pines, North Carolina. And we've grown a little bit over the years, and I just added my first associate about a year ago. Excellent. And uh, thanks for that. And let's move up the coast to the other Foundation Equine, Dr. Dan Keenan. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Mike. Um, so Dan Keenan here. I am an equine practitioner in central New Jersey. I was a 1984 graduate. I suspect I'm probably the oldest in this group and went right into private practice. After four years working for somebody else, I started my own practice in 1988. Probably was a solo practitioner for about 10 years, then added my first associate Interestingly enough, this was kind of, I guess, a good time to ask me to partake or to participate in this conversation because we just added our fourth associate um, or fourth veterinarian about a month ago. So we've just recently been through this. So over the years, after after all those years being a solo practitioner, I've gradually added a few people. There are two owners of the practice. And uh, we do mainly, we do no, no racetrack, um, a lot of performance horse and reproduction in our practice. Excellent. Well, thanks, Dan. Thanks for joining us. And finally, uh, Dr. Miranda Goslin of Millbrook Equine. Welcome, Miranda. Thanks, Mike. Uh, yeah, my name is Miranda Goslin. I am a 2005 graduate of Washington State University, Go Cougs. And moved from there to do an internship at Brazos Valley Equine in Texas. And then I came from Texas up to New York, where I joined the practice in 2011 and became a partner in 2015. We're a five doctor ambulatory practice. We have three partners and uh, two associates, but we're a, a very small practice. Do primarily show horse sport horse, uh, backyard, and reproductive practice um, is basically our thing. Excellent. And uh, so thanks. So the theme of the discussion today is let's talk about how you know you could add an associate to your practice. So we've got, uh, let's call Dan the veteran, Lisa just adding a new associate last year, and Miranda um, just getting into it yourself in terms of adding associates. And in our practice, we have a number of associates too. So every once in a while, I may chime in too. So yeah, let's ask the question. And maybe Lisa, you want to start with this, um, you know, especially it's your first one. How did you know you needed an associate? What, what was your measurement on that? What made you say, I need an associate now? Well, I knew that I wanted an associate. And I think for me, it was a tricky decision deciding you know, when and how I was going to go about that. I remember when I first started my practice thinking that, you know, oh, I would add an associate when I was working 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., six days a week. And, you know, I had two doctors worth of work. And 
that was just a little bit insane. Um, I certainly did not get to that point. I got to a point where I was working as much as I wanted to work and I never wanted to be a solo practitioner forever. I wanted to be in a group practice. Um, the practice was growing and doing fairly well. I thought about adding an associate before and didn't do it, then kind of regretted it as another year or so went by. What did you regret about that? Sorry if I interrupted. Um, I inter- yeah, I felt like there was a growth phase for the practice that was, you know, rapid and great. And I looked into hiring an associate at that point, decided not to, and then for various reasons, and then ended up having my first child and as a solo practitioner. And so the practice took a bit of a dip because I just couldn't do the work. And I always kind of looked back and wished maybe I had hired someone then to kind of sustain the growth through that part of my life when I couldn't do it. So when this time came around and the practice was growing again and my son was a little bit older and we wanted to have a second child and then I met the right person for the job, it sort of all lined up. And I thought, you know, now's the time to do this. And of course, I've been thrilled. The I made the right decision because I found the right person. And so did you have any financial considerations? Did you, you know, sort of look at your, you know, your profit and loss and go, I can afford to do it? Or is it more just like, I need one, so we're just going to do it? Uh, no, I definitely looked at the financials. I wanted to make sure that adding an associate, you know, I, I recognized that they would not pay for themselves immediately. And their initial business would be business that I gave them and and that, you know, growth would kind of come in time. And so I wanted to make sure that the profit of the business was enough there to get the new associate set up, pay her a salary that I felt was reasonable and still pay myself the salary that I'd been making. I, I don't know. I, I think I did OK. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. And what about your experience, Dan? Well, for my, you mean for my first associate, it's it's kind of hard to remember. So it's probably about <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, I know it was nerve wracking. I think one thing I will say is even when I was a solo practitioner, I always relied pretty heavily on consultants. So I'm sure at that point, I probably contacted uh, Cynthia Witchett, who at the time I was using a lot, um, and asked her to go over some of the financials with me to make sure I could afford the associate. I, I guess one kind of plug I'll say here is over the years, I've hired consultants on numerous occasions and I've never been sorry I did it. They may at times seem expensive, but every time for me, at least they have paid for themselves well and above the amount they charged me. So even with my very, you'd think by now I would not do that anymore, but even with this fourth associate, I did speak to a practice management consultant, had them look at some numbers with me and say, are are we ready to do this? Of course, the, I think the, the first associate is the one you're most nervous about. And, and you know, there's, a I guess, a volume thing that uh, as you add a few more, and not to say we're a big practice because we're only four people now, but with each one, I think it becomes a little easier. And, you know, I, I think the other thing which we all recognize is that the, the fit is most important. I, I tend to go with my gut more than anything else. Um, references from people I know that I've known for years are important, but it's really a gut feeling when you're interviewing people because you have to have the right feeling or the right person, you know, and it, it worked out great. My very, my very first associate clients loved her, excellent veterinarian, 
Um, I was sorry. Uh, after two years, her husband was transferred and she had to leave. But I could have seen that as a, a very long-term relationship. She was phenomenal. The question I have for the, uh, with the associate, uh, when you talk to the consultants, was it just financials that they focused on or yeah. there, were there other factors yeah. they looked at? No, it was, it really was every time it's been financials. I'm pretty comfortable or confident in my, in my judge of people. Um, having said that, I think, you know, we all, we all get fooled every now and then. Uh, I, I don't think I really needed anybody to help me choose the person. It really was all about financials and that's everything from, you know, how profitable are we currently to, you know, how much new equipment are we going to have to buy and what's the salary going to be, you know, and just looking at all the numbers. And right. interestingly, I did that for the very first associate. The third person in the practice was a little different because I had ended up merging practices with another practice in the area. And that practitioner was older than I am. So when he retired, we were just replacing him. So it wasn't adding an associate. Um, but this fourth person that, that just came on board a month ago was adding another person. So, you know, the, the replacing somebody is always an easier decision. It's really not a decision at all, right? I mean, if the practice is, yeah. is sustaining its size, you need to hire that person. But it's the addition of a person that's always a little more worrisome. Thanks. And, and Miranda, what about your experience? Well, when I came into the practice, I I spent a lot of time actually talking to one of the partners that I was also doing a lot of repro work with. And we, we talked business a lot. And I would ask him questions like, okay, how did you decide that you wanted to be a five doctor practice? Because when I came on, came into the practice, we were five doctors. We were also still three partners and, and two associates. And he said that they had made the decision at some point along the way, they decided that it was more important for them to have more veterinarians and less support staff because they actually had to make a decision along the way. Are, were they going to invest in having more assistance in the vehicles or were they going to invest in having more associate veterinarians? And they decided to have more associate veterinarians because they were really thinking about time as a commodity. So I thought that was a really interesting comment that has been a little bit challenging for us to kind of work out of because that we've really adopted that mindset and it's been hard for us to say, all right, you can have both potentially. And in fact, you ought to, to, to really be efficient and to really maximize the potential of every veterinarian that is working within the practice. The most recent associate that we hired, we actually hired for for temporary purposes. Uh, we had three veterinarians that went on maternity leaves last year. And there was a period of time last summer where the remaining veterinarians that had not taken a maternity leave, there were two of us, uh, were basically burnt out. And we had gotten to this place where if we didn't have somebody come in and be on call and hold down the fort, we were going to lose our minds because we needed to take some vacation. And so basically we hired an associate to come in and work for us for, for three, three months, knowing that they weren't probably, they weren't going to be profitable, but they were going to, they were going to be here. They were going to be part of the team. They were going to represent us and allow us to continue to serve our clients needs. 
so that we could get away and get some time for mental health. So um, there wasn't a lot. I mean, we did talk a little bit about how we were going to afford that choice. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it was it was something that we invested because we did not want to have nervous breakdowns. So but the other times we've hired associates has been, you know, somebody is retiring. So you're filling a role, finding a new associate to come in and, and bridge that gap, be that part of of the practice that where someone has retired and now we need another person. So that's that's been basically the gist of it. It's interesting you bring up that the the mental health and the burnout factor. And I, I wanted to go and ask and maybe think of asking Lisa, because you said, you know, you, you wanted to be in a group practice. And, you know, what was it about in a group practice? What was it about a group practice that you wanted that you, you know, thought I got to go down this road of getting associates? I think, you know, obviously the the first answer that comes to mind is not being on call 100% of the time. But the rest of it is that I enjoy sort of the group atmosphere in, you know, sharing cases that we're working on and catching up on what's going on with our clients and what's happening in the the barn and what's happening in the community. And I found it a little bit isolating to be a solo practitioner with no one to say, oh, hey, I just saw this, you know, neat new article or new technique. What do you think about trying it on this horse or, you know, bouncing a case off someone? Uh, i just kind of missed the camaraderie of group practice. Right, 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 right. Interesting. So, uh, interesting question. The question, you know, whenever you get together with a bunch of people and you've hired somebody, how do you find new associates? What is your, you know, what's your process of looking for one? And then later on, we'll talk about how do you, how do you know when to bring them on board? So, does anybody have any great tips of uh, where you find associates other than the AEP uh, website? Dan here. Networking is really important for me. I happen to, I belong to a VMG group and, you know, they're just a great sounding board. And, and when we actually hired the associate to take the place of our retire, my retiring partner, it was at a time when there was an abundance of equine veterinarians looking for jobs, which is not the case I found right now, but if I remember correctly, we, we advertised on the P website and we had over 50 applicants. And interestingly enough, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, or I hate to say this, but, you know, you know, you, you get 50 applicants, you could probably whittle it down to 20 just by looking at resumes, which I did. And then I probably did about 20 phone conversations and had about six people come visit the practice. And when it was all over, there was nobody there I wanted to hire out of 50 people, essentially. And no kidding. Then I got why, a, why was that? I just, I just did not get the feeling from any of them that that they'd be a good fit. I didn't get the mm-hmm. the feeling that they'd be a good fit with the clients. I didn't get the feeling that they'd be a good fit with our practice. You know, of course, you you end up with the six people you interview. It makes me wonder about the other forty-four people who never got to that point. I probably missed some good people, and I don't I don't know how you fix that problem. But you know, things do always seem to work out. And uh, probably, you know, a few weeks after I spent the the last day with the sixth person in the truck and still hadn't really 
gotten anybody that I was psyched about. I got a phone call from a friend of mine in my VMG group, and he said, look, we have this intern who finished here a year ago, went to work in another practice, and and, and it, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, I, I really love this guy in my VMG group, and he said, I really don't want to go into what's the problem in the other practice, but she is an excellent person. She's an excellent veterinarian. The clients loved her when she was here. And she, she would just, they were out in Arizona and, uh, and she had grown up on the East coast and he said, she and her husband are looking to move back to the East coast. And she came and spent a day with us. And at the end of the day, we were like, both my partner and I at that point were like, okay, this is a person. And that, that goes along with what I said before about the gut feeling. I mean, you know, I, I, I think you really have to trust your gut. All that time I spent with those other interviewees, I'm, I'm sure there were people that I was ambivalent about and going, oh, should I do this? Should I take this step? Should I hire this person? Pretty much with everybody I've hired, when, when I was done, you know, with my kind of standard, which is first uh, an office interview and then asking them to spend the day with us, usually by the end of the day, I've just, I've just kind of known this is it. Yeah. This is the person. And that, that was true of our last associate too. We, in fact, the last associate, she spent a day with us, but both my partner and I, after she walked out of the office interview, were like, that's the person we want to hire. And we both, that's we cool. both had the exact same feeling. Now, it's only been here a month, <laughs> you know, talk to me in a, in a year, but so far she seems to fulfill everything we thought she would. Cool. What about you, Miranda? It's interesting that you were able to find a person initially for a part-time position. We don't usually think of locums in, in equine practice. Uh, yeah. So how did you find this person? Yeah, it was it was networking. Yeah. I think I think there's you know the, I I think back to 2014. We actually actually even before that 2012 we hired an associate in 2012 and. It was also during that time when there were so many veterinarians looking for jobs and we were inundated with applicants. And I remember the whole practice. I mean, that makes it sound like a lot of us, but we all took a part in that. We all went through the applications. We all looked through the CVs and and spent a lot of time finding the people that we wanted to interview. And we did actually find a fantastic associate through that process. And we were really lucky. But since then, it's been primarily networking that, you know, the, the most recent time that we hired that temporary associate, nobody is looking for that job. You can't, you can, you can advertise for it, but it's not like there's anybody out there that's coming out of an internship or coming out of any position or wants to leave a position for a temporary position. And we were very clear about the fact that we weren't looking for somebody that was going to stay on for longer than this three or four month period. So when we found the person that we ultimately did hire, it was the type of position that was ideal for her as well. She was approaching the end of her internship. She hadn't found a job yet. She needed something, but she was interested or willing to consider the possibility of something different, something a little bit different. And so it, it just, it worked out. It was really a, a mutually beneficial situation for both the practice and for her. And so how did you know she was the fit for you? What was it about this person? Um, I, she actually came and rode with me because she wanted to get some more repro experience before 
she left her internship, which didn't offer a lot mm-hmm. of opportunities for repro. And so I spent the day with her. By the end of the day, I was like, I really like this person. Uh, she's funny. She's competent. Uh, she's easy to, to talk to. And so for me, that I, I think it was, she actually, honestly, does not interview particularly well. And so that was interesting experience to see how she did in the truck. And she was fantastic in the truck. But um, she really wasn't comfortable in a traditional interview type situation. So mm-hmm. I think because she rode with me first, it, it did work out better for for her. And I was we were more willing to give her a chance than if we had. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. How about you, Lisa? I mean, how did you find your associate? Yeah, so I'm I'm in a pretty unique situation in that I'm close to the university and actually take students for unofficial externships, but also for their official out or field services rotations. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get a sneak peek of the students that come through. And, you know, I try to kind of, even now, kind of keep tabs on the ones that have really been standouts just in case. And mm-hmm. the the doctor I ultimately hired, she had come and ridden with me for an externship for I think it was two weeks. And she her clinical competency was, you know, end of internship level, even when she was a fourth year student. And her personality was sort of the exact opposite of mine. I'm uh, introverted and sort of a high D on the disc scale. And she's extroverted and a high eye and just, you know, completely the opposite of me. And I, I wanted someone who would be a compliment to me in practice as a, a second doctor and not just, you know, another version of me. So she was clearly the right person, even as a student. I didn't want someone straight out of school. I kind of wanted them to go to an internship first and I didn't want someone to fall into my practice and then only ever know our way of doing things. So she went and did an internship. I kept tabs on her and sort of kept trying to convince her that she belonged with us. And ultimately, I I had to interview um, some other people and she was just the right one. And so, you know, finally, she kind of came around and I think hopefully realized this was the right place for her, too. It's interesting. All three of you really talk about fit uh, for that person, and, and that's been very um, common in our in our hiring as well too. You just kind of know when you, they're with you, and they fit the team, and they fit the culture, and that, you know, it's almost like they're you know putting their hand in a nice, comfortable glove. It just makes sense. So, but one of the we were talking a bit. Somebody mentioned resumes. I also have a question: Is you know, what are the things in a resume that make you go? aha, I want to investigate this further. And the next question I'm going to ask is, what are the things you see in a resume? You're like, okay, let's just flip this over and keep moving on. So let's start with uh, what do we like in our re- in our resumes? How about you, Dan? Why don't we start with you? I think, I, I mean, I, an obvious thing, but it's amazing to me how many people, when I got those 50 resumes, I mean, this last round, I don't know if I mentioned, I probably only got about 12 resumes. But when I, when I got the 50 resumes, it amazed me how many people had not read the job description. It just wasn't a fit at all. And it was very easy to eliminate a large group of them and just go, this, this person doesn't, didn't even take the time to investigate our practice. You know, there, it's 
obvious that we are not what they're looking for. I mean, you know, we had surgeons who were interested in doing surgery. You know, everything about their resume was about doing surgery, and they were applying to uh, an ambulatory practice. We had reproductive, you know, geriatrologists who I could see that if they investigated the practice, they might think that they were a fit. But the job description was really describing somebody who was going to do sports medicine. And, you know, that was the person we were looking for in our practice. So that was the first thing. And I, I found from a resume standpoint, it's pretty easy to read a resume and just go, you know, this person just really doesn't, hasn't done the research and, and hasn't read. The other thing which I wonder about, because it, I don't know if it's my obsessive behavior, I, I really like to see a nice cover letter that's well-written, that, you know, grammatically correct. And, and my, my business partners the same way. We'll read a letter and it'll be a bunch of run-on sentences. And it's a turnoff. And, and actually, that might be unfortunate because that person might be a great veterinarian. But it's not hard to have somebody else proofread your stuff before you send it out. I mean, I do it in my office. I give it to two or three people and say, can you read this for me? How's it sound? So it's like we start talking in our office, we'll get a resume. You're like, oh, my God, the grammar's terrible. Or, right. I mean, they don't, you know, you're like, if they don't have the, 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 the pride to make sure that this resume is nice and well-written and correct, how are they everywhere else? So that's a huge turnoff right. for us as well, too. Yeah, yeah. So those, I mean, those are the main things. I think I'm not sure I've ever looked at somebody's GPA in vet school. I mean, to me, it doesn't matter. Um, maybe that's because I was not a stellar vet student. <laughs> I think that it it really has to do with references and experience, I think are the two, you know, the two most important things that I get from a, a resume. Who can I call to speak to? And especially if I know those people, then I, then it's, it really holds a lot of weight. You know, like I said, just their experience is really important to me. Sure. How about you, Lisa? Uh, mostly, I just kind of want to plus one to everything that Dan said. I've never been in a position where I was hiring at a time in which applicant pool was so large. But I will definitely second the cover letter that has correct grammar because so much of our business, at least in my practice, is emailing clients back and communicating effectively via the written word that I, I would worry way too much about someone who submitted a cover letter that wasn't worded in a grammatically correct way. I got the ones that have sent a resume and, and they spelt my name wrong. You're like, yeah, really? Are you me? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I'll completely too back the, I, I was just talking about this yesterday that I really don't care about vet school GPAs. I myself think that I was ranked like like the ninth from the bottom in my own class. Uh, um, I was eighth. <laughs> from, the, from the bottom. From the yes, bottom. From the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> See, it does not matter. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, yeah, I'm I'm completely on board with the experience and uh, references and, and yeah, GPA is not a factor for me. Yeah. How about you, Miranda? Yeah, I, I would have to agree with what Lisa and Dan just said. I mean, I, I think the the most important thing 
I mean, I, I think back to that time period in, in 2012 when we were getting so many applicants and yeah, you, you did get a lot of resumes from people that were desperately looking for a job and, and were definitely applying to something that their skill set was not pointed toward. And if they wrote a good cover letter that described how they like what their vision was and how they thought that they could take their skill set and bring it to your practice, then, then yeah, it could, it could work, but that you'd have to spend, you, you need to spend a good amount of time crafting a cover letter that tells that story. Because if right. you, if yeah. you don't, then, then it's an easy, like mm-hmm. toss in the, toss in the trash. And then I would agree. I mean, you get some, we got some crazy, crazy cover letters. Like I think this woman was writing a, a romance novel on the side and maybe she <laughs> like, gave us the romance novel and not the cover letter. But it was like this long drawn out story about horses with long manes and people. I mean, it was just like insane stuff. So she was an easy elimination. I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, I, it, it really comes down to can can I visualize who they are through what they've written and what they're capable of being for us and with us? Can they pick the right people to to sell them? You know, that's the other piece of it. It's really tempting to, to like pick people that are known people in the profession, but do those do those actually know them really and truly? And can they actually sure. sell them as as capable and good people? Any of like, is there anything you'll see on a resume, or or has there been uh, any in your history of looking at resumes that there's one thing that just jumped out that you're like, just because of this, I want to investigate this person more. There's the obvious stuff. I mean, you know, our our most recent hire, we really feel like there's a need in our area for a person who's certified in chiropractic and acupuncture, and you know, so certainly we were looking for that, but that that's pretty obvious. I mean, this is what you're looking for. This is what you look for in the resume. Other than that, for us, I, I don't know that there was anything really that would specifically jump out. I mean, I love humor. I mean, somebody who did, who did and, and believe me, there are people who get a little humor into their cover letter. I learned a long time ago, I, I want to enjoy walking into my office and the people I'm working with. I want to, I want to see a smile on their face. I, I'm a pretty happy guy. And and I have worked with people who were not happy and it's not fun. So, but that's not, that's not what you see in the resume. Uh, like I said, except for the real obvious stuff, we're looking for this or we'll look for that in the resume, except for in the resume, except for that. There's, for me, there's not been anything specific that I look for. Yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't usually look for anything particularly specific. I think I'm just more interested in what they how they what they're trying to tell me and how they're trying to tell it to me like that's what I'm more interested in I suppose and but yeah there's nothing there's no one thing that I'm like oh forget it I I found you know this happened by fluke but also I thought to me this is the perfect thing if somebody has on their resume that they've worked in a bar or a restaurant I'm really (laughs) interested no I'm serious because they're used to dealing with drunk emotional people Horse owners, perfect. Not saying they're drunk, but you know they're troublesome. <laughs> they're they're right. tough. Right. It's emotional. We had one person. I remember she was on the phone and she was being 
absolutely berated by a client and, and she had, before she worked for us, she wasn't a vet, but it was, I mean, she was a receptionist and she had worked at a hostess at a nice restaurant in our area. And after I got off, she got off the phone, I was like, well, you handle that with just, wow. I mean, I, I was just listening. I was like, bravo, you just held that well. She's like, oh, that was nothing. At least he wasn't throwing food at me. People throw food. She's like, oh yeah, it happens all the time. I'm like, all right. Wow. Let's look for bar experience. So I got one last question, and this is probably everybody, I would think a lot of people ask me this, and you know, and, and new vets ask me this, and, and other vets have asked me this, how long do you figure it's going to take for a new vet, a new associate to start paying for themselves? So Miranda, do you have any thoughts on that? You hire a vet, post-internship, it's June, July, is it a year, like two years, a year and a half? What is it, do you think? Well, I think, I think it's at least a year. I, I think that it it also depends on the person that you've hired, the opportunities that are available, and also what it is that you're trying to accomplish with that person. So like if you're if your goal is to hire somebody but but then they're interested ultimately in uh, doing chiropractics and acupuncture, well, they're going to go and spend a good amount of time training and you're going to be investing in that whole process. So they're unlikely to be particularly profitable right out of the chute. But I mean, if you if you know that that's what's happening, you're not going to put unreasonable pressure on that person. So I would say I would say at least a year and sometimes as much as two. You should expect that. So Lisa, you're, you know, you've spent about a year with your associate. Um, what, what do you think on this? It's um, almost an unfair question because you haven't had a lot of associates, but it's, yeah, it's you I know, just, especially it's even more pressing with you. It's your first associate. I mean, you yeah. carry him for a period of time. I mean, I'm here for Dan and Miranda's answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, we're a year in and I'm in that boat that Miranda was talking about where, you know, I'm interested in, and for me, internal medicine, because that's my specialty, and um, I really like dentistry and preventive care, but I'm not so into the lame stuff. So I hired someone who wanted to do sports med, and I sent her to get Cairo certified. And so we've kind of had this year-long process of getting her established. And I think now I'm just looking for her to kind of start really getting geared up to kind of pay for herself. And you know, we have months where you look at the financials and you go, yeah, two doctor practice. Awesome. And then we have months where there's two of us and we are not doing two doctors worth of work. But I, yeah, I guess, you know, no tech backsies. <laughs> I think it's going to take a little bit more time. Yeah. Uh, we're in a very competitive area for sports med and Cairo and you know, like I said before, the person that I hired is a real standout. And so, you know, I think we're still kind of, we're hitting that transition point from, yeah. you know, introducing her to the practice to her being a self-sustaining veterinarian within it. And what about you, Dan? What are your thoughts on that? I think it depends on what role that person is fulfilling. I mean, if they are coming into the practice and, and offering a totally new service, such as chiropractic and acupuncture, it, it may actually take longer. It, it's, it's kind of uh, paradoxical, I think, because you think, wow, it's a new service. People will jump right on board. But 
if your practice has never offered that before, it's going to take them a longer time to get the reputation, to get people calling for that. But if they're just coming on as an additional person to do what the practice is already doing and you're hiring them because everybody is working 12-hour days, you know, they, they'll probably pay for themselves in a, in a quicker um, time period. I, I'm curious, Mike, am I allowed to ask a question? <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so when you, when you hire this person who you then, within the first year, paid to um, get the CE for chiropractic and get certified in chiropractic, what kind of deal did you have with that person in terms of being fair to them, but also protecting yourself? That is a great question. So we had um, our associate contract written so that I agreed to pay the expenses for chiropractic training. But if she leaves the practice within three years, she has to pay back the cost of the training and the education. I felt comfortable with that. Of course, you know, I'm always going to kind of have my heart in my throat until hopefully maybe one day she's a partner. Right. But I I talked to my lawyer a little bit and I talked to, you know, Mike and and a lot of the other people I knew. And and this seemed like a, a reasonable thing to do. We did. We did something very similar. Basically, it was a three year agreement for us, but as I think as we went out with every consecutive year, then the amount that she had to pay back decreased by, I don't know, I can't remember if it was over four years and it decreased by a quarter or if it was over three and decreased by a third, but it was something like that. So, I mean, basically it was the same type of arrangement. This has been a really uh, interesting conversation. I've learned some some things and uh, I really want to thank all three of you for uh, taking the time out of your really busy uh, summer schedule to participate in this. Uh, thank you all very much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. All right. See you later.